Welcome to Core Parenting Conversations with Kaylee. My name is Kaylee Kukla, and I've spent the last decade supporting children and families with challenging behaviors. As a mom of two, I appreciate how overwhelming and exhausting parenthood can often be. So I'm taking all of my book knowledge and combining it with real life experiences to change the dialogue around parenting. We'll have powerful conversations that always include practical tips so you can walk away feeling inspired and empowered to make simple yet impactful changes in your family's life. Let's dive in. Hello, and welcome back to another Core Parenting Conversation with Kaylee. Today's podcast is actually inspired by a social media post that I made recently about my five daily practices that I do as a parent. There's a trend going on right now about the five things I would never do based upon my professional experience. And when I saw this, I thought, you know, I'm going to turn this a little bit. And instead of telling you what I won't do, I'm going to tell you what I'm very intentional about doing every day based upon my experience and my research and just what I've noticed throughout my time being an early childhood educator and professional. Because I believe what we focus on, we get more of. And so I want to focus on these five things. And I thought, you know what, I want to hurry up and do a podcast and put it out there because these are great little rituals, things you can just embed into your routine as many of us make this transition back to school. So here it is, uh, newly inspired, but very well thought out, my five daily practices. So number one, you may find it a little cliche, but I really do mean it. And that is read to my children every day. Now, this may seem like it's a purely academic thing because many people are familiar with the research nowadays that says reading for 15 minutes, at least 15 minutes a day, is more of an indicator of long-term reading abilities than many other things that we do as parents to support our children's emergent literacy skills. But here's my stance on it. While that is true, and as you know, an early childhood educator, that is my foundation, and I believe in that, but here is what I love even more than that, is that reading together, that joint experience, it not only nourishes the brain, but it also nourishes our soul, our hearts. There's just something so special and so intimate about the way we snuggle up with a book, whether it be in bed, on the couch, on the floor, and looking at those pictures together and entering into another world with one another. So in addition to that, we've got these other shiny things that, you know, a lot of parents, a lot of us value, okay? So We do see an increase in the overall enjoyment of reading. So children are more likely to become lifelong readers if they get read to as young children. They're more likely to be intrinsically motivated to read, be independent readers. And then, of course, higher test scores. Now, these are 
a compilation of studies, like 30 years of studies, these results have been very consistent. And whenever I look at research like this, we have to ask, you know, what other factors are at play here? And social economic status is a huge factor that's at play. But overall, the correlation between daily reading and positive impacts are strongly supported. This practice, as I mentioned before, it also really promotes some of my key values, core values as a parent, including connection. So when we sit with our children to read a book, we become fully present in that shared experience, fully present in the words and the pictures with one another. And we as parents can look at books as a means to be playful. We can become playful with our voices, or maybe it's the rhyming scheme of the book. Um, Some kind of, you know, some books get that beautiful rhythm when they have that rhyme. They can build suspense. We can get a little more overdramatic with it. So it can become this source of really rich play between us and our children. They're also an incredible tool to address challenges in your child's life. So I will intentionally set out books around the house. There's books on like every surface. So on our coffee table, on our kitchen table, sometimes on side tables, by our couches, in the kids' playroom, by their beds. There's books everywhere. And sometimes, like the beginning of the school year, I'll strategically set books out about topics that will resonate, I think will resonate with my children. So for example, I got a book called The Boy with the Big, Big Feelings. I think I found it on social media. I read it. I kind of like found it on YouTube and I read through it. I was like, oh my gosh, I have to get this book. So it came in the mail. My kids are so used to us getting books in the mail. We get a lot of books. My son sat down. He wanted to read it. He's a big reader because this has been one of our practices since he was a baby. And we read it and he wanted to read it again and again and again. And I think we read it four times. It's so interesting when children can sit there and they can see themselves in that book, in that story, in a character. And what that can do, what that can be, is it can be an incredible tool for our children to process life's changes or process challenges or bring more awareness to a situation, self-awareness, which is a huge part of early childhood development is that development of self-awareness. So if you're not sure how to navigate certain situations or you're not sure you know, how to talk to your child or how to relate to them about a certain situation, when you start finding books that relate to them or remind you of them or have something to do with a current situation that's going on with life, life, like a move, like starting school, like a new sibling, like separation anxiety, all of a sudden they're able to self-identify and maybe even find a way a different way of looking at things or more skills and tools. So it's one of my favorite things when I have shared reading with my children to read a book that I think is going to connect with them or they're going to connect with and look over and see their wheels turning. Like you can just see the thinking happening in their eyes. I love that. 
And even if he doesn't want to talk about it, or even if you're not sure how to talk about it, the story creates a reference point for future conversations or situations. In my emergent literacy classes in college, we used to call it, it's a springboard for discussion. So if you have this really cool lesson, maybe you're going to talk about tigers and mammals for your science class. You can combine that with literacy because you can read about tigers and help children build that concrete knowledge base. So then they have something to pull from for more abstract experiences, like talking about tigers. Same thing. So you read a book about a boy with the big, big feelings, or maybe you read The Invisible String, which talks about being separated by the people from the people we love, but we're still connected by an invisible string. Now you have something really tangible to help children identify that feeling of missing someone or feeling lonely, but something really concrete to talk about how we're still connected, even when we're physically apart. So these daily routines of reading for 15 minutes a day, at least, is just so powerful on so many different levels. And by the way, the research references, I didn't just like make this up. There are research references that I mentioned, like there's research going back to the 70s and 80s, like really the advent of Sesame Street all the way up. But I listed some references in the core community and you can find the link to the back to school book list, which the boy with the big, big feelings and the invisible string are on. But I have a whole back to school book list. If you want that, that link is available in the show notes. So research references are in the core community. Back to school book list is in the show notes. All right. So number two, my second practice that I do every day is telling my kids I love them. I love spending time with them because I really do believe there's a difference between the two. And then always working in some affirmations and or encouragement and high power connection activities. So I want to spend some time on this idea of high power connection activities because it's the one I probably got the most questions on in social media and I think it's the most fun. So that's what I want to talk about today. First, I want to set it up just by telling you guys where this came from. So I didn't just make this up, but I combined like three or four different theories all together to do these with a lot of intention with my children. So I took the science of I love you rituals by Dr. Becky Bailey. I love you rituals are the idea that a ritual between the child and the caregiver needs presence, touch, eye contact, and a playful situation. And she explains the science behind this, the human connection, the dopamine that we get, the oxytocin that's released, all of these good, warm, fuzzy feelings when we do these predictable little routines, and we make eye contact, we're present, we touch, and we play with one another. Really magical things happen in the brain to connect us. Okay, so that's Dr. Becky Bailey. So that's where I started with these I love you rituals. Then I was reading the book Burnout about completing the stress cycle by Dr. Emily Nagasaki and her sister, Amelia Nagasaki. And they state things like connection and Belly laughter are ways to complete the stress cycle in our body. 
we all have stress in our lives, like daily stress from whether it be traffic in the morning or whether it be a really big unexpected stressor like a flat tire. Okay. So we all have these stressors. Sometimes we can do something about the stressor and sometimes we can't. Regardless, when it activates the stress response in our body, we have to complete the stress cycle or that builds up. So belly laughter is one of the ways we can do this. All right. So I've got the I love you ritual stuff, presence, touch, eye contact, playful situation, the belly laughter piece. And the final piece is Dr. Lawrence Cohen. He's like the godfather of play therapy. Okay. He's, his work is so just phenomenal. But he has this idea of the power of like fun fear. So children cope with a lot of their anxieties by getting to the edge of them in their play and then feeling powerful like they have control over the situation. They can conquer their fears in their play, which make their real life fears more approachable, more like they're better easy to or better able to cope with them. Okay, so combining all of those, can you see where this is going yet? So I've got like the rituals the belly laughter, and the fun fear. And I'm going to combine all those things together into what I call high power connection activities. See, it like I needed a name for it because I was like, I can't explain it and pull all those three. But I wanted to explain where it came from. I didn't just make it up. It was actually very thoughtful. These could be games like ready or not, I'm gonna get you. And then you chase a little bit, Uh, like you play mommy monster around the house. It could be, don't wake the mommy bear. Oh, I'm so tired. I'm just going to lay down right here. And I really hope you don't wake me up. See, I'm building the suspense. I'm building that fun fear. And then what happens is touch. They wake me up or I get them touch or they get me. And then belly laughter is at the end. You can also play one of my easy go-tos is various versions of peekaboo. So you may think peekaboo is just putting your hands in front of your eyes and then popping out to like a nine-month-old and they crack up hysterically. But y'all, like teenagers play peekaboo, okay? When I explain this, people are like, what? I go, yeah, yeah. In middle school and high school, when they're flirting with someone across the room, what do you do? You make eye contact and it's like super awkward and then you quickly look away. And then you turn back and you make eye contact like they're playing peekaboo across the room. That's what they're doing. They're getting those little hits of oxytocin every time because they're attracted to one another, okay? So we can do this with our big kids. I'll do this when I'm getting like stuff out of the cabinets and kind of hide behind the cabinet doors and then peek out real slowly, wait for that eye contact and then (gasps) act startled and jump behind the cabinet door. Do it with a shower curtain while they're in the bath. You can do it with a door before you enter a room to try and transition them. You can do it behind the dishcloth when you're doing dishes. I mean, there's so many opportunities to create that little bit of suspense and then break out in belly laughter. So that's what I always tell parents is when you both start giggling or when you both start belly laughing like that, that's how you know you're doing it right. And there's so many great things, the strong connection it brings with your children. And also it helps you both complete stress cycles from your day, which is something that I as an adult, regardless of being a parent, 
I really need to make sure I do that. And we're going to come back to another way to complete your stress cycle as well. This core parenting conversation is brought to you by Kaylee's core membership. If you've tried the Instagram parenting tips and tricks to gain connection and cooperation with your child, and it's still not working. (laughs) If you feel confused about how to respond to some of your child's bigger behavior, or maybe you need the encouragement and accountability to make the changes you know you and your family need. CORE offers the weekly support and tools to make these powerful shifts within a supportive, uplifting community. We talk about real-life parenting, not the neat and clean two-dimensional examples often given on social media. You can learn more about this program by heading to my website, www.kayleekukla.com backslash core, C-O-R, for Centered on Relationships. The link is in the show notes. Now back to this core parenting conversation. Okay, so number three is a responsive rhythm. So through my experience with young children, I know how important predictable routines are to build a foundation of security in a child's life. Let's face it, as adults, we like to know what to expect, and we have a lot more control over our schedules than our children do of theirs. But my trap early on in motherhood was to become really rigid in my schedule. And if things went off the rails, which newsflash, they often do, my anxiety and reactivity would, I said spike when I was writing out my notes. No, it would like skyrocket, actually. It was just rough. So I needed to find a way to become more flexible because the rigidity was just so toxic to me and to my family. But outside of of staring at times and time windows and wake windows and all of these things that you're trying to juggle as a new mom, I was reading Dr. Bruce Perry's work and Dr. Bessel van der Kolk's work, which they're both like leading world trauma researchers. And they both have sections in their books where they mention the power of musical rhythms in healing trauma. Huh. Because the predictability of rhythms signal to your brain that you are safe. This is some of the science behind tapping, okay? Drum circles, like indigenous peoples, when gathering around, they both told stories of how healing drum circles could be in all of those rituals, okay? So that's when I had my light bulb moment of like, oh my gosh, rhythms. My children need rhythms. They have predictable anchor points. So anchor points are things like mealtimes, rest times, and other predictable daily happenings. Like let's say, you know, someone goes to work or we're getting ready or someone's going to school. We all have these predictable daily happenings. And that sets the beat, the predictable rhythm. The responsive piece of this is responding to the current needs of the family. So if we happen to have a very busy morning and people are starting to melt down, whether people be me or my children, I may choose to have a rest time and then have a quiet activity at home rather than going back out into the, in the afternoon. I might change plans a little bit. I might give a little more rest time. I might extend rest time. Some days I may need to shorten rest time, right? So 
for example, if the kids are bouncing off the walls and I don't have anything planned for that day, but clearly the kids need to get out (laughs) and run. So we get out and then they get really exhausted. Like the regulation kind of comes and then I see they're kind of nose diving on our way home. I'm probably going to expedite bedtime and I might even skip a bath and streamline mealtime. Okay, so I don't get stuck on the times. I don't, everything's usually a ballpark, but I'm really looking at being responsive to those cues and really setting these responsive rhythms. So when people ask me, you know, what time do my children go to bed? Generally speaking, it's a 30 minute window. And that just, that works really, really well to us. So tonight they were super tired. Uh, I'm recording this at night. Uh, They went to bed earlier than they normally do, probably at the earlier side of that 30 minute window. Okay, so those are responsive rhythms and I just love them. And they go hand in hand with the visual schedule that was last week's episode. So the visual schedule really supports responsive rhythms because I don't put times on our visual schedule, but the anchor points are denoted in the pictures that are on our daily schedule. So that's just how those two things go together. Okay, so number four, prioritize my own self-compassion, self-regulation, and my own needs. So I can't give what I don't have. It's just not possible. And when I was reading the book, The Opposite of Worry by Dr. Lawrence Cohen, okay, the play therapy guy, he tells the story of the second chicken. And it took me, honestly, it probably took me a few chapters to like really understand this analogy. So I'm going to try and try and do a good job of describing it to you because once I got it, I was like, oh, that makes so much sense. So the second chicken he discovered when he was a kid by observing chickens on a farm, And if a hawk flew over, so a threat to the chicken, all the chickens would drop to the ground and play dead. If there were two chickens, he noticed they would pop up fairly quickly once the hawk went away. However, if there was just one chicken, the chicken would lay there on the ground much longer. Years later, Dr. Cohen realized it's because the solo chicken didn't have the other chickens signaling safety. So he would just lay there for way longer because he didn't know it was safe. He assumed he was still in danger. So he goes on to explain that that's why we as parents need to be the second chicken (laughs) for our children. Isn't that a great analogy? Now you'll like, you can say to yourself, be the second chicken, be the second. I swear I've caught myself saying that in my head recently. Okay, so be the second chicken and signal safety to your children. But we can't do that if we're chronically overwhelmed, dysregulated, and anxious ourselves. Now, look, I live in the real world. I have wrestled with anxiety for a good portion of my life. It is a constant work in progress. But generally speaking, I've developed this practice so much over the last seven years that my days of being able to be regulated and not be overwhelmed, outnumber the days that I am. And that used to be reverse. So wherever you are right now, that's your starting point. And that's okay. It's not another source of mom guilt. Please hear me when I say that or parent guilt. So I recognize I cannot give what I don't have. 
If I notice I'm being snappy, impatient, judgmental of my children, those are my big red flags, y'all. Like I try and catch myself before I start getting snappy like that. But if I feel my body tightening, if I feel tension, if I feel shallow breathing and constricted chest, all like heavy chest, all those things, but especially when my behavior starts reflecting it, like I get impatient and snappy and all that stuff, those are my cues to check in. How am I feeling? What am I telling myself? Am I being compassionate towards myself? Probably not. <laughs> Allowing myself to be human? Or am I holding myself to impossible standards? These self-check-ins that I do, these questions that I ask, what do I need in this moment? Those are some of my daily inner child healing practices. I get asked that question every time I talk about inner child healing and a big piece, there's many different pieces of inner child healing, but a big piece of it is really just getting in touch with what you need and validating that need. It's not too much. It's not a burden. You are worthy of meeting that need. And that messaging is something I still need on a daily basis. So what do I need from this day? What do I need in this moment? And I give myself permission to meet that to the best of my ability. And again, I'm a realist. Like I can't always like lay down and take a two-hour nap, even if I really need a two-hour nap when the kids are with me. So sometimes it's the most basic need. The other day, I really probably did need a nap. But instead, I was like, I just need to sit. I was bone tired that day. And I was like, I've just got to sit. And I sat, drank some water, and it was amazing I could come back and finish the evening strong after that. Some days it's permission to not do something, not go so hard on a workout, not cook dinner, and permission to put random pantry assortment things on their plates and call it snack dinner. Snack lunch, snack dinner. They love it. It's great. (laughs) So if this sounds like a foreign practice to you, if you're like, I don't even know what I should check in about, what should I ask myself? Core members have a self-inventory checklist they can print out as a reference if this is a new practice for you or if you're not sure what questions to ask. So that is in the core membership vaults and available to all members. Number five is find your village. And I think this is also pretty cliche. So we started with cliche. We're ending with cliche. And I totally recognize that find your village is much easier said than done in this day and age. So I want to explain how this translates on a daily basis with small practices because it's probably very different than what you're thinking. In full transparency, my husband and I moved back to Florida. We're from Florida. We lived in North Carolina when my first son was born. And when he was three months old, we moved back to Florida to be near both sets of grandparents. I still maintain it's really important to have a village outside of that. And there's a way to build in daily practices. So I want to go back to the book Burnout that I mentioned earlier in the podcast. And one of the ways to complete the stress cycle is through connection. So we talked about the power of belly laughter. Now we're talking about connection. The authors cite that this does not always need to be like a deep connection with someone you know super duper well. This could be small talk with the coffee shop barista. 
It could be helping someone find something on a grocery aisle. It's especially powerful like when you help someone. So I intentionally seek out moments of connection throughout my daily tasks, such as going to the gym, running errands, dropping the kiddos off at school, visiting the library. These can all create moments that connect. A recent example, I was just like, what can I give them? And I thought of this just happened two days ago and it's so simple, but it really, it really is just such a great example of what I'm talking about. So we went to the library to return books and check new books out for the children. And one of the librarians there, I know her from high school. Now we weren't like super close, but we knew each other. We knew each other's names and and we're friendly with one another. We always, you know, say hi or make small talk when I go. So she has watched my boys grow up. I mean, she's worked there for almost as long as I've been bringing my kids to the library. She's watched my boys grow up and she recommended, she brought a book out as we were leaving last time, as we were checking out called Now We've Got Barbarians. And it's a super cute book about a Viking infestation in a house. It's super cute. And so my son loved this book. It was hysterical. He wanted to read it every night. He was hesitant to return it to the library. The way I got him on board with returning it was, hey, you know, I bet this author has other books. So he was all excited. We returned it. We went to check out. The author did have a couple books on the bookshelf. We got those. And so I saw her. I saw this librarian at the children's desk as we were leaving. And I went up to her and I told her, I said, oh my gosh, that book you recommended was hysterical. We enjoyed it so much. He didn't even want to give it back this time, but we found new books by the same author. And I just wanted to say thank you so much for that. That's it. She's a part of my village. That's the simple daily practice that we can incorporate. We can do stuff like that everywhere. It might not be the librarian who's known your kids for like seven years. It could be the coffee shop barista who's there every Monday when you go. It could be the guy at the juice bar who also works out at your gym. Okay, these are all people, very specific people in my village. Sure, it doesn't remediate big needs like childcare help or the exhausting workload of motherhood. I get that part of it. But it does help us feel supported in other ways. It helps our bodies process the stress from stressors we can't change. So if you can't change the fact you don't have childcare support, it can alleviate the stress response in your body for those moments. It can help us feel a little more regulated, a little less overwhelmed. Okay, so there you have it. Those are my five top daily practices that I do with intention every day with my kiddos. And when I say like every day, I probably mean like 98% of the time because come on, I'm human. (laughs) Reading for 15 minutes every day. The I love you encouragement, high power connection activities. Three would be the responsive rhythms four, the self-compassion, and five, finding that village in the most creative, simple way. My hope in sharing these practices is that you can take them and make them your own. Incorporate them into your life. It's not meant to mirror mine. They're not meant to be 
like standalone practices that you have to add to your to-do list. Goodness knows none of us need more to add to our to-do list. Instead, they are meant to transform your to-do list. Just change how you are already doing things a little bit. Thanks so much for being here for another core parenting conversation with me. I just enjoy this so much and I'm so grateful people are like actually listening and enjoying this. So thank you for all your kind words and feedback. If this podcast was helpful to you, will you do me a favor and share it with a friend or share it on social and tag me or leave a review or do all three? I would appreciate any and all of them. They all help podcasters spread their message and are just such a sweet source of encouragement. I'm so grateful for you being here. Have a wonderful week.